were here in Froome, in your temple, your, your studio, there's pieces of art all around of the mind-bending variety, and you just give me a bit of an insight into your creative process. Yeah, yeah, that's what I do. Um, that's exactly what my life is now. Making art and reflecting on it, and then taking it into other people's minds and seeing what they see. I, I do it from the moment I wake up until I go to sleep again, and if I have to do something else, I will go and do it. But yeah, that's, that's my life. You know, I'm doing what I love, um, and I feel like I've been guided to this lifestyle as well. You, you mentioned you can look into other people's minds and see what they see. I can't look into their minds until they've told me what's in there. No, a lot of my process has developed, especially over the last few years, as a result of um, trying to obtain the external perspective of other people. I used to make art, and then I'd put it on Instagram and then put it away in a cupboard. And then uh, during lockdown, so three years ago, I got made redundant and I found these online rooms on Clubhouse uh, where people were trying to sell their art. It was the first time I tried to sell a piece of art using words, you know. I had to talk about what the art meant and the practice of doing that uh, allowed me to... Um, re it revealed more about my art than I thought was initially in there but then you're also getting the perspective of these other people who don't know you who are looking at your art for the first time and and that kind of became the feedback loop you know um, so I, I, I create a lot of plant life in my artwork and the reason for that is uh, because of a quote by Ken Kesey that I read whenever um, that I really liked which was about you know, people thinking they found the answer, so they stop looking. And the answer is to grow a strange garden where weird plants grow everywhere and to continue, you know, evoking mystery. So I create these weird plants in my artwork and, you know, over time this story has unraveled with the sort of nature of the images. But the plant life is, you know, when I get the opportunity to take someone into the artwork and see what they find in there, it unravels stuff to me, but then I try and push people to uh, explore with their imagination what the rest of that world would look like beyond the parameters of the image. And what I hear them seeing feeds back so much to me because, you know, it's in the past I would isolate. It would just be the stuff that's locked in my mind. But when you have that interaction with another person, you don't know what you're going to get back and it's not influenced by the parameters of your own, you know, ego boundaries or whatever you want to call them you know so a lot of it's influenced by that but then there's a lot more that influences it you know I think life influences an artist you know in lots of ways and your yeah. life certainly has right in yeah so many ways you've told me before about the journey that that you've been on across the world to to get here to this place where you're able to make art and be able to share it from a really, really sturdy, steady place. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I've always been, I've always been an artist, you know, um, I've always, I, I didn't do very well at anything else. Um, and I did terribly at everything else. And art was kind of like a safety net in a sense. It was a mindfulness practice that I wasn't aware of, but I enjoyed the process of drawing, you mm -hmm. know, and creating patterns. 
I wasn't very reflective on it, but I did used to feel, you know, some form of emotion when looking at art, and, it, and I'm quite inquisitive. I used to wonder why people like certain art and not other types of art, you know? Um, I went into recovery six years, six and a half years ago, um, you know, where there was a lot of self-reflection, where I looked back into my life and spent a number of months trying to understand a bit more about who I was. That process was so revealing, um, and you know, I found, I found there was a lot more clarity in my artwork as a result of doing that, um, but also having a clearer mind. Um, but when I, when I did start talking to people a bit more often about the art and taking them into the artwork, uh, I held this room online uh, where I'd invite people in with a piece of art, and it was like a sort of critique club that we did every Friday. And people would find stuff in my art that I didn't mean to put in there, you know? And I, I decided to start trying to like recreate childhood memories, mainly happy ones that I'd had, using the psychedelic aesthetic that I'd sort of developed over time. And, and it, it, it blew my mind, you know, because I think I'm slight, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm conscious of what I'm doing, mm -hmm. but I, I don't think anyone's really that conscious, complete, no, no one's 100% there of what's gonna turn up, you know, there's a mystery about it. There's a language of colour, you know, and certain colours work with certain colours, certain patterns work with other patterns, and your style influences that too. It's your soul mm -hmm. speaking. Um, and it's like, one of, one of the things that we could talk about later, the purple UFO, is like, you know, the idea of, of, of that is to show people that, you know, you're, everyone's creative, you know. And mm -hmm. for me, before I had made loads of art, I didn't have a body of work to read off to talk that spoke to me but the more I made the more I started to recognize my soul language you know within that art you know through obvious things and not so obvious mm -hmm. things like color language and amazing yeah you know. the sort of motifs that, that keep coming back that you maybe weren't conscious of at the time when you were making the art yeah. but just to roll it back a bit and get more of a sense of your your life story before getting into the more cerebral aspects around yeah. around the art you said you were in recovery what what were you in recovery for and, and tell us tell us a bit about your journey absolutely yeah so um i i was in recovery for drug and alcohol dependency what i found out was that those two things are just symbols for for an illness you know a mental illness um that is often caused by some form of childhood trauma i didn't get on very well at school and I think that affected me. But we, w my family moved to Italy when I was five, and I loved it. Everything was great. We went to this international school, and you know, people in my class were from all over the world. And then when we came back to England, it, you know, my memory of it is almost like black and white, and I didn't fit in very well. And I, th I think that was the trauma that sort of, you know, when it, when you close in on yourself, um, and. You, you, you can sort of spiral in, yeah. if that makes the, sense. The trauma, not to be facetious, yeah. of living in Italian paradise as a child and then being yeah. forced back to this grey Babylon. Exactly, yeah, exactly that. That's a perfect I'd be, I'd be, I'd be traumatised. Yeah, and I, and I, well, I, I didn't know that's, that's what had happened until I went through the process of recover, in recovery. It was a 12-step process. But when I, when I, I found, um, you know, I found psychedelic plants and found friends who you know i i would take them with um it was like a real 
opening for me and I felt like I found the solution to my awkwardness and my anxieties <laughs> and and that just spiraled out of control and I ended up with a dependency on a number of different drugs mainly ketamine and Valium um, which oh, wow. I ended up in rehab for um, and I was just completely oblivious as to what was wrong with me I thought I was just a young bloke who liked um, you know altered states of consciousness and feeling different to how I felt sober although you know? ketamine and Valium a, more like a dissociative what, what do you think drew you more to dissociatives well with with ketamine it, it, it had this um the, there was the outer body experience but it was also um the way it affected my thinking it altered reality in a completely different way in that i was so attracted to partly because of being an artist you know it, it allowed my thinking to sort of you know, um, slip into different bubbles of thought, if that makes sense. Um, so I would be thinking almost from a different person's perspective. You know, so it, I found that really attractive about it, but it was the outer body feeling um, as well that uh, I, you know, became addicted to. So how but, much ketamine does one need to be taking to sort of be certified addicted? Because um, people take a lot on the weekends. You can really build up a tolerance to it. I've seen some of the lines people are taking. It's... It's yeah. crazy. Even well, even the other day, like I was with this girl, she did like three like massive keys and then went back to work. Right. But then if I if I did that, I'd be like all over the place. Yeah. Well, it, it's a you know you can de develop a uh, what do they call it a high um, tolerance. tolerance yeah of ketamine quite quickly depending on how much you do. Mm -hmm. But I think what happens is people start off with very small amounts and you know that can be enough to make them feel very strange, uh, but. You know, if you get sucked into it, your tolerance goes up so quickly that you can end up, you know, sort of spending a lot of money on it. And, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I did what your friend did. You know, I took huge amounts and I'd go to work sometimes and I'd just what? be taking it all the time. And it felt like I was, you know, it felt a bit like a horizontal life for a bit. You know, um, a lot of my friends were doing it and... And I, ju I did just, I found it fascinating what it did to my mind, you know, um, because I would relate that to, you know, it was like a philosophical experience as well. Mm -hmm. And it would help me understand the creative process as well. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I feel like I owe a lot of um, my uh, process to experiences with psychedelics. I, you know, absolutely, it's, it's pretty obvious to anyone that looks at it, you know, but... I also feel very lucky that I'm, I'm, also, I'm really interested in art in general and uh, art without that um, influence. Now it's more of a life thing, you know? Sure. Life influences me, people I meet, the places I go, the food I eat, the books I read, whatever it is, that, that is the main inspiration. But also the spiritual toolkit that I've developed in recovery mm -hmm. is such a massive part of this. Because, yeah, if folks were to look at your art on the face of it, it is pretty ketty. You see it with the kind of orby, kind of gloopy-ness. But it makes me more think about the DMT experience, really. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, the way I look at it is it's a mixture of all of those things plus more. Um, so it's influenced... Uh, this was my draw to psychedelics was um, just complete astoundment at the way it altered my visual you know sight the, the things that I was seeing I was so attracted to those patterns and 
I could do that on my own and just spend hours just staring into, you know, whatever it was that was in front of me. I, I didn't intend for any of this to happen, you know? <laughs> it, it's just... And, and that's where the, the sort of... the feeling that I've been guided comes from. I would just draw and then, you know, I remember someone saying, some people are action then theory and then some people are theory and action. I, I don't really agree with that, but the thought of what it means um, sort of affected me. And I was like, well, I, I, I do a bit of both. You know, I think everyone does a bit of both. But with, with the art, I would start drawing something and then, let, and then it would manifest from the central piece of the image. But over time, it would then get influenced by all the previous images. You, know? you mean so, you would enter like a flow state? And there's a lot of elves in your work as well. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, so, so elves are definitely DMT-inspired and mushroom-inspired, I'd say. Um, so There's one piece I like of yours where they're moving chess pieces. Moving chess pieces. Uh, like the two elves are like playing chess with each other? And they're, they're using like mushroom... Oh, they're not elves. Chess not pieces? Elves. Are they yeah, not elves? No, they're not. But, what are they? Um, they're, one of them's a mathematician and one of them's a mycologist. <laughs> so that, that's actually... That picture really helped me in lots of ways because it, it was meant to sort of reflect the concept of, you know, the left and the right hemisphere of the brain and how they interact with each other, one being creative and one being more sort of you know, structured and mathematical or literal or whatever it is. Oh, you know? the, the logical uh, I, masculine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, so I, I don't know, I, I'm no brain surgeon, but I, you know, that was spoken about in a number of things that I read when I was younger. And, and I thought it was quite an interesting concept to have, you know, two characters that represented those separate chambers playing a game of mushroom chess. Again, it has the plant life in there, but then it also has this purple UFO above them, which became hugely significant to my practice and my life, you know, uh, recently. Um, because that picture was only made last year, I think. Um, but saying that, uh, you know, my, my experience has been one long journey and the art is the vessel, it's the vehicle that I travel in. So I, I was very interested and I, I loved the Yellow Submarine animated film, um, you know, that it, it blew my mind. Um, I was really into the Beatles as well, and a lot of people started telling me that my art reminded them of that, which was great. You know, I thought that's cool. I love that. They seem to see that in it, which is, you know, nice thing. And it, that, that particular animation, I thought, was one of the better um, representations of the psychedelic experience. That's just my own opinion. And then... Because uh, it's two opposite things, isn't it? Being in a submarine or being in a UFO. One's it's, under the water, one's above the world. Have, have yeah. you seen a UFO? Uh, well, I, I have, I, ha, I think I have, but I don't know, you know? Uh, this, is, this is the sort of, this is where things got complicated because I thought I'd been abducted uh, three times oh, wow. when I was younger. Um, and I went down, that's what sort of led me further down into this rabbit hole of uh, losing touch with reality. And, uh, you know, like most things, if you get well, you turn your um, most frightening experiences into your, you know, the things that help you the most. Um, but the, the Yellow Submarine, um, like I, I got into a show in, at the Psychedelic Science Conference this year, oh, in yeah. June, and, um, and someone compared my art to Heinz Edelman, who made that 
program on Artnet, which was like a, the biggest thing that's ever happened to me. I was like, wow, this is, this is some sort of sign for me. Yeah, it was a you whole know. spectacle. Like, you know, there wasn't so many artists who had their work there at that gallery. And yeah, yeah, yeah it was and the brightest minds in psychedelics were there, right? Exactly, yeah. And it was, it was a confirmation that I'm doing the right thing. I think a lot of artists carry a lot of fear around with them of, you know, am I wasting my time? I, I almost burnt all of my artwork on a number of occasions. Oh my God. We kept getting fired from jobs and, you know, it was, I was obsessed with it and it meant not interacting with the real world, you know. Because but you it, had thought you'd been abducted on a number of occasions. Yeah, yeah. So, Why did you think that? Well, I, the, the, it, when I was 19, I thought I got abducted outside the Oxford uh, ice rink when I was with some friends and uh, I just disappeared apparently. No one could work out where I disappeared to and I, from my experience of it was I was walking along the road and then suddenly I was getting up off the ground and my bag was missing and none of my friends were there and it felt like a split second and, and I, I didn't initially think I just got abducted. Had you had any ketamine on that I afternoon? I hadn't taken a thing. Um, I was completely sober but I had my phone in my pocket and I, I had 20 missed calls from a friend who I'd been with who said, and I called him and said, where are you? And he said, where the hell are you? And came running back and said, you just disappeared. We looked for my bag and couldn't find it and decided to go. And, you know, I spent the rest of the night, you know, going through all of the different things that it could have been. And You'd like blacked out? Or yeah. Did I black out or did I get mugged? Or, had a psychotic or episode briefly or something? Yeah. And they just said, they, they frankly said, no, 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 you just disappeared, you know, and there didn't seem, there wasn't anywhere I could have apparently sort of hidden behind. You just apparated, yeah. went, went and did a term at Hogwarts and came back. Exactly, probably, and yeah, you know, it was, it was but, but I, I, I was working in this um, restaurant in Newbury at the time, and I came back late one night and there was a programme on Unexplained Mysteries and they were talking about UFO abductions and a list of things that happened to the people that think they've been abducted and a number of these things had been happening to me, including thinking I had a, you know, this, they were talking about some people think they have a tracking device left under their skin. And just at that time, there was a lump in my neck and I thought maybe this is a tracking device. And funnily enough, I had it removed last week after- Last week? After 20 years of having it in there. And what was it, a cyst? Was it, it a cyst yeah. or, or, or was it like a piece of titanium it, it, radiating back to well, outer, outer space? It, it could have been a tracking device. The doctor said it wasn't, but how do I know he wasn't one of these aliens? Yeah. There's a lot, like you mentioned unexplained mysteries. There's this yeah. new James Webb NASA telescope that you might know of. Yeah. And it's capturing pictures in unprecedented detail of far out galaxies. And it's really upending our understanding of, of the universe because the idea is that, you know, the big bang and then everything radiated outwards in, in, in a, on a certain timeline. Yeah. But these far out galaxies seem to, you know, have developed on a totally independent timeline and way quicker. So after the big bang and yeah, we're having to like recalibrate slowly our total understanding of space. So it's interesting how every so often there's these kind of paradigm shifts and whole disciplines have to, kicking and screaming, sort of change how they understand the world. Yeah. I don't know if that at all resonates with what you were just saying. The simplest way for me to, you know, process what happened is, you know, I, I 
after that happened, I went down a rabbit hole of thinking, and I, and I then had these two memories of when I was much younger, where, which I'd never, my mind had never been able to compute. I kind of left them behind, but my subconscious, they got sort of flicked back up into my mind because I'd not been able to understand what happened, and one was floating off this red climbing frame and then so, when I was four, and then somehow miraculously walking all the way back home, um, you know, and having these flashing images of my brothers looking for me, and, and then a year later we were in this little, in our, in our school, and our teacher took us into a cul-de-sac, just around the corner from our classroom, and we were all crammed in there, and my memory of it was looking up at the sky and then being blinded by this white light, and then waking up on the floor again, and no one was there, and then I got up and walked to the classroom, and my teacher said, where have you been? And I, I said, I've been round the corner. Uh, and she said, we've been looking for you. And I couldn't, you know, I didn't work out, I couldn't, I was young, so I didn't compute what, mm -hmm. why there was anything <clears> wrong with it. And you never um, remembered but, exactly where you might have been during this time, because like, nothing. some people seem to have memories of, like midwives, for example, being abducted to go and look after hybrid children. Yeah. But I mean, this is also, I should add, something that comes up a lot for people that are in mental distress as well yeah. right and it sounds like obviously you were at least during intervals absolutely yeah um i mean but but back then no you know there, there is no memory of anything bad happening i had a ch happy childhood mm -hmm. uh, you know at that point everything was great but i just couldn't compute what happened and it and it popped up again because it's one of it's it's a very certain memories i have and this goes back to me recreating childhood memories using that psychedelic aesthetic um, that just stuck very loudly, you know, and, and I feel like they stuck for a reason that I wasn't aware of at the time, but now I am, you know, and, and I think that's like, you know, when people say they've, um, when they, you know, no matter how much of a mess your life is, when you, you know, if you're lucky enough to go through some sort of process of recovery, things line up, you know, and suddenly that mess makes total sense because you're not, causing these things to go wrong anymore if that mm -hmm. you know and that, that's what happened to me but so what was the I, turning point for you then I know that uh, at one point you were in New Zealand yeah so I, I, I grew up uh, working on events uh, from 15 um, my dad used to put tents up and I, I just sort of grew into the event industry and I worked for various you know event companies doing tents sound lighting fireworks all sorts and it was always quite seasonal and at the end of each season you'd either have to, I, I, sometimes I went travelling, sometimes I'd find some job that I didn't want to do just to you know, fill in the gaps. Um, and I, you know, I, when I went into rehab at 23, you know, they introduced me to the 12 steps, but I then spent the next decade not listening to people and it was this you know, out of control spiral where things continually got worse and worse. And, and, and I ended up working for a teepee company in Bristol. Um, and I was just, I was very depressed, you know, and I didn't, and I, and I didn't realize how badly, you know, confused I was about life and everything. And I just felt very empty. And, and at the end of that season, I, I suddenly emailed a load of companies in New Zealand and some, someone had a space for me to go. So I just flew over there thinking I'm going to sort my life out, but I ended up drinking on the plane and, you know, landed and it just got a lot worse. And I basically, I ended up living in this guy's uh, garage for a bit. Um, 
And I, I thought I was going to die there. The daily routine involved hitchhiking to the supermarket. It was a slow suicide. But then I miraculously, I, I, I went back into AA. You know, In New Zealand? I, no, I went to one meeting when I was out there, but I got back to England, walked into a meeting, did four and a half months sober, stopped listening to people, and then relapsed again, and that's when the psychosis came in. Oh, shit. And, and basically it, it was... Uh, it involved me thinking there were little people in my room at one point who were showing me better places to hide uh, the drink, and um, and it was it was it was really frightening, you know. Uh, and I was terrified of going to sleep because of the stuff that I was seeing on the back of my eyelids. Gosh! And because because I'd been in and out of the rooms for such a long time, I knew people did a number of things on a daily basis to stay well. And one of the things I never tried was praying. So I went out into the garden and I got on my knees and I just, I begged this thing that I didn't believe in at the time. I said, you know, if there's anything up there, I don't want anything to do with my life anymore. I give up. I'm willing to do whatever it takes. And, you know, I, I meant it and I fully abandoned myself um, to whatever it was. Um, and, you know, that process was, you know, it was, you know, surrender, you know. And I, I just felt these waves of relief pass through me. Like, yes. you know, they just kind of said, you've done that, you've done it now, you know? And, um, and I went down to the place where they'd have the meeting in the day with the book that has the solution. And I was sitting on the doorstep with this book and because I was hallucinating, I thought I was a canal boat. And, uh, and I had this epiphany that if I'm reading this book, which contains the solution, I'm moving upstream to the good stuff, you know, the love, the laughter, the serenity. But as soon as I close the book, I start drifting back towards the chaos that I'm trying to get away from. And my whole life now is an evolution of that mm -hmm. um, analogy, you know, or that hallucination. So you know, you, what, you're having like alcohol withdrawal hallucinations. And, and what was this yeah, book? The, well, the, the psychosis was a, I think it was, I mean, it was a result of alcoholism, the disease, but it was... Mm -hmm. It was, you know, frustration and exhaustion of constantly things getting worse, 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 yeah. and much worse, and thinking it can't get any worse. And then it, you know, people was it say, you know, cheer up, it, it could be worse. So I would cheer up, and it would get worse, you know. <laughs> and it was like, it, you know, I just suddenly found myself, you know, surrendering. Mm -hmm. And this, the book was the, um, the the literature that has the solution in it in Alcoholics Anonymous. Okay. And, it, and it, it just describes how you get well, but then you go to these meetings and, you know, people, someone just guides you mm -hmm. through this 12-step process and I, I just went all out on it. I just, I was so sick of where I was at. I just wanted every single bit of help I could get and, and it took, after two weeks of doing that, I, my psychosis evaporated. Amazing. And I started to feel more connected to people and because I was reading that literature and I was uh, talking to people in the on the phone from those meetings, you know, my awareness of what, how my head works and what was wrong with me started to expand and, and you know, I, I was praying and meditating and just, just doing it without, and getting out of the way of myself, which was the problem. Well, it's incredible you know? that something called upon you to just go out that afternoon and pray and it seemingly was... Yeah. yeah, the turning point. But when I came into your room earlier, one book caught my eye about the wisdom of the Wishol people of Mexico, and, and that's the book that you said that you found God within. Yeah, so, so you know, when I, when I went in, I had this misconception of what a higher power was, 
um, and the God word was used a lot, and I, and I, you know, I, well, I, I didn't really have much to relate to with that other than people that go to church, and I, you know, I found out soon afterwards it was your own concept of God, and I was going through this process, you know, and there's like a lot of self-reflection, and after step, this the fourth step, which was that process of self-reflection, where you look at all of these things that have happened in your life, was, I was at um, my sponsor's house, he's the guy that guided me through this process and he had this book shelf full of spiritual literature and I said which one of these can I read and, and he said none of them until you finished this step and then he gave me this book called The Road Less Travelled which is you know a very famous book um, and it's it, it was so profound it sort of spoke about the concepts that we were talking about in recovery but from a, a non-recovery perspective or not not specified towards you know addiction or alcoholism and uh, it was so profound for me that I, called him, I had to call him up and say thank you. And he said, you know, books come along at the right time. And I, I suddenly remembered, I had these two books about the wee chol. And uh, I thought, you know, maybe this is the right time to read those. And the first book, uh, the guy that wrote it was explaining that when, when, when the wee chol eat the peyote, uh, they admit their sins to the shaman. Uh, so that they can enjoy their journey or have you know a peaceful mind while they're on their journey and I just thought you know that's exactly what we're doing in recovery we're clearing up the past you know so that we can enjoy life yeah and then, well I suppose it's potentially more interesting to do so with the use of a mind-altering cactus uh, potentially potentially I, and I, I, I say that sort of you know as not definitely, because my experience of recovery has been possibly more profound than my experience with psychedelics. Oh wow! Because I'm, I, you know, I'm not using a substance. I'm actually doing it through connection to other people, and it's a shared experience. But it's also allowed me to settle back into reality, or you know, whatever you want to call it, you know, Babylon maybe. It, it but in a way that I work, I function. But it's also given me the tools to uh, be useful instead of a waste of space that, you know, just seems to make everyone sad. Do you know what I mean? It's mainly uh, my family and people that care about me the most, you know. So, it, it, but it was perfectly aligned. Yeah. And actually a lot of the work I'm doing now is highly influenced by psychedelics. I've been trying to develop... I don't want to call it a new form of therapy because I've, I'm absolutely certain it's been done in lots of different ways. But mm -hmm. uh, I've, I've got to the point where I'm, I'm talking about my art in... Um, like I, I did a talk at Bristol University last week and I intend to do the same in other places because it's part of my processes, talking and giving it away so that other people can maybe find some sort mm -hmm. of you know relief in the creative process when it's combined with... you know. Uh, the lessons you learn from psychedelics, uh, the spiritual toolkit of recovery, mm. and art therapy yes. as well. So I'm, I'm not a trained therapist, but I hope I can mm -hmm. go through that uh, procedure at some point. And you can share yeah. from your own experience. Exactly. Although, yeah. I, won I wonder if you mentioned the elves to the students of Bristol Absolutely. University. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you have to be honest about what the art means and where it comes from. You know, um, those elves came through sobriety but they were influenced initially through psychedelics and, you know, my own personal experiences and hearing of other people's. 
when I was quite early on in my recovery journey, I was playing around with geometric patterns and then these faces started to come through and, and I'd start sort of cultivating these images around certain faces that had come through. And then one day, this particular face came through and I had this overwhelming feeling that this entity had been guiding me through life and altering reality so that it would push me away from something dangerous happening or, you know, get me back on track. And, you know, I, when I talk about this stuff, it's like, you know, I did a, I did a mental health uh, first aid course in lockdown and one of the things we looked at was psychosis. And a, a girl on the course said, oh, my boyfriend had psychosis. He thought aliens were real. And I said, they are bloody real, you know. And I suddenly, it dawned on me that, you know, maybe I've had psychosis for a bit longer than I realized, you know, and... Because aliens it, are or aren't real? Well, like, because I thought they are, you know. And, and I, but then I thought, you know, I, because I've been through this process of revealing, you know, that a lot of my thoughts weren't real, you know. So, someone said to me, um, you know, 50% of my head tells me lies and the other 50% believes them. You know, and that mm -hmm. was the case for me, you know. Yeah. Well, we all do have an egoic mind as well that yeah. doesn't want to lose its power and allow us to maybe surrender to love and, and true peace. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And, but it's, it was that, um, you know, it was that realisation that, you know, sudden realisation that a lot of these things that I thought about myself could have been just one big hallucination, you know, and it was frightening. And I actually, it, it, it scared me a little bit. I remember like realizing that and having to go and sit down and, you know, breathe calmly because I suddenly, you know, it's like you suddenly think oh, it's my whole life is just like a cartoon. Do you know what I mean? But, but, has, it, but, but has anything ever happened where you've, you can look back on now with a sober mind and be like, oh wow, like a series of synchronicities or magic and you can look back and be like, oh wow, that is, that was genuinely quite, queer, uncanny, Absolutely, unlikely. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I, I, I personally feel like my whole life has just been one long spiral of weird coincidences, sequences of events that have, you know, happened for a specific reason and pre-planned by whatever controls this reality. You know, I don't know what it is. I call it God, because I got you bored of saying, you know, trying to, I got out of the, what's the word? Um, I stopped trying to sort of work it out if that makes sense, and I just accepted it. Um, and now I love it, you know, I pray in the morning and I pray in the evening and say thank you and I believe there's some sort of loving intelligence that runs everything and, and if you act out of love, you seem to sort of slip into that stream and it helps, it makes mm -hmm. things easier and it makes you a better person because you're more open and aware of other people, you know, and you can learn the tools that makes you a, you know, a useful person rather than the opposite. Um, but I, my, my first, my fir earliest memory of something slightly strange happening was watching this childhood cartoon uh, when I was, I think I was four, and I've, I've been trying to work out what the cartoon was forever, but what, the, what I remember was these funny little characters flying around on leaves, like they were surf surfboards, and I, I, I remember the, the instinct, the feeling I had was that they reminded me of a previous life in another dimension um, and it was a very comforting feeling um, and you know part of me feels like maybe I was meant to watch that so that I was you know prepared for other stuff that happened later in life 
you know, it kind of opened me up to it. And then when I, when I started using mushrooms, um, I, I had an experience in Devon where I was sitting on this hill in the summer overlooking this valley. And um, I was suddenly aware that I had lived different lives before this one, you know, and that my soul was actually, you know, uh, something other than what I previously thought it was. You know, it was as if I was being told the truth by something that felt real rather than something that somebody else believed, you know. And, you know, and I now look at all of the bad things that happened as just lessons, you know, that I was meant to learn at exactly that time so that when I was ready to go through the spiritual process, mm -hmm. I would be better equipped to pass it on, you know. And, you know, when I talk about that self-reflection step, I, I really went to town on it. Um, I wanted to know everything, you know, and I, I learned as much as I could. And now, you know, I do what I can to pass on um, these tools because, you know, more is revealed through working with other people. And I do that with recovery, but I also do it with art. So the process of talking to, you know, universities or students or whoever is, want, is interested, it, you know, by telling them more is revealed to me at the same time. Do you, you, know? do you show... Do you show your comrades at AA or NA your art? Not really, no. I mean, some, no, I, I don't go about telling them. I, you know, sometimes people ask, what do you do for a living? And I say, oh, I'm an artist. And then they, you know, they look it up. But I try, I try, I try not to talk about it because it's, it's kind of, it's kind of irrelevant mm -hmm. to why I'm there. And it's so otherworldly. Yeah, yeah. And, and obviously because <clears throat> there's the influence of psychedelics in it as well I don't want people to sort of think that it's okay to do psychedelics when mm -hmm. they've got this opportunity to go through the process without them exactly you know, yeah you need you need to you, they say to be you know to break open the head you need to be ready to smash all the pieces and put them back together again exactly yeah yeah and I, I wouldn't want to deny someone the opportunity to go through the process that I went through if they want that because it's uh, it's a beautiful thing and it will allow them to find themselves. And, and, and it's, I, you know, when, when we were talking earlier about what, what would be more interesting, you know, taking the psychedelic experience or the recovery experience, the reason why the recovery experience m might be found more interesting is because it, it attaches to everything in life. And, you know, a lot of people go and will do a psychedelic experience and then they'll have to integrate these lessons into their life in the same way uh, it's done with recovery, but without... Um, using a you know plant medicine, it's like you know you're you're given this this toolkit, which looks like nothing at first, and that was my problem for a long time. I thought, how the hell is this going to help me? Uh, I'm I'm far too complicated and confused to get you know this weird formula, but when I actually started doing it, it did you know it was like I had no structure to my life before. It was just chaos. But then I put this, you know, very intelligent structure in place that had helped lots of other people. And it was that structure that guided me through the process, you know, and it revealed, it's, it's been put together and it's been there for like 90 years and it's helped millions of people, you know, and it's made a lot of family lives better. It's, it's done, it's an amazing thing to be part of. Mm. And know. yeah, the AA has, has, and NA have, have clearly done amazing things for people and have created brotherhoods of fellow travelers across the world. But I know that, you know, the statistics 
I think for like long-term recovery, maybe like 10, 15 percent, right? Or, or maybe 20, I'm not, in, I'm no, not entirely sure. I actually think it's much less than that. Is um, it even from, less? From, uh, yeah, I'm, I might be wrong, but I think it's more like 3 percent. Oh, wow. Yeah, so, you know, to, to get into that place is something you need to hold on to. Mm. But a lot of people don't even know that that helps there. So, And there, yeah, it's interesting because obviously, <clears throat> yeah, with a number of psychedelics, it's early days, especially with long-term data, but yeah. there's definitely suggestions that certain techniques in the right way, twinned with psychotherapy, are certainly going to be more than 3% effective, right? Absolutely, yeah. And I, I'm, I'm all for psychedelics. You know, I, I think it's absolutely fantastic, you know, what's happening at the moment. Um, and I'm really interested in how, how they can be combined with different forms of therapy. You know, that's what I was talking about. You know, um, the purple UFO that appears in a number of the pictures, uh, it, it's appeared itself. And we're now, we have our first ever purple UFO event coming up on Sunday. Oh, cool. Which will be, you know, I, I went to a Ros Watts and Sam Gandhi talk in Froome uh, six months ago or something. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I, I heard Ros is setting up ACER in integration. And, you know, I thought, you know, if she's been mm -hmm. through this you know clinical research journey you know attach you know speaking to a lot of r professionals in that field and she's now doing this ASA integration project um, which I found really appealing I thought you know that her, her discovery seems to be that we lack connection to each other and to nature you know and I thought that's interesting that this almost new form of therapies are popping up out of the research so the purple UFO Kind of, I, I, I'd been trying to sort of see if I could combine the things I'd learned off psychedelics, the toolkit from recovery, and art therapy with art, and as like this column that sort of in, they intertwine around into you know something that we can bring people into. You know, so we're initially just going to be putting these events on, um, you know, which will take to mm -hmm. different venues, inviting different people from different therapeutic backgrounds, psychedelic backgrounds, music, art backgrounds hoping that we can build a community and as people come together more things can be shared but um, eventually uh, I'm, I'm, I'm doing I'm doing some work raising money for the Beckley Foundation as well with a with an art project and followed by my own project uh, which is uh, uh, something I've been working on for probably two and a half years now which I'm hoping my project will then raise funds to potentially buy some land or buy uh, uh, somewhere where we can permanently host these events and just, you know, see where it goes. Do you know what I mean? It's all driven by this purple UFO concept. Well, there's, only one, there's only one place it's going to end up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's, but it's, it's, it's exciting. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, it really it's, is. It's kind of because... Because, like, psychedelic art in the US is a really kind of... I don't know if it's advanced, let's say, but there's really more of a community. There's a lot more people kind of doing their thing, but it's really just emerging here, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah, but so yeah, I. It's huge in the states, the visionary art scene. Um, but over here, it, we, there are a number of really amazing uh, UK artists, European artists, but we just—I I just don't know. If, I don't know. I'm only telling you from my own perspective, but. It doesn't seem like they have as big a sort of you know structure to it as they do mm -hmm. in the states, um, but I I do think that 
psychedelic art is now uh, being understood a lot, a lot better. You know, people, I think it got dismissed for a long time. Well, more people are tripping now as well, right? Well, that's it. Yeah, and that's a large part of it. But it's, it's you know, I, I see it as, it's a very pure thing, you know, because people are exploring dimensions, exploring their consciousness and bringing back these visions and showing other people what they saw. And, you know, some people will see that and go, I saw that too. You know, it must be real. I'm not crazy. But it also helps... Uh, with the connection between this reality and that reality, I think you know there are, there's a lot of uh, it's Andrew Gallimore with the DMTX trials where they're taking people into that state for longer periods of time. Oh, with the, know, in, with the intravenous DMT. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like you know, imagine, that, imagine that, that DMT the, into the bloodstream. I know. Yeah. I, th I think that should be on the front page of the newspaper. Do you know what I mean? I think it's on it, like page 30 of The Guardian. Or oh, something. is it? Okay. Well, it's a little, little column, you know, right, yeah, yeah. each time it comes out. I mean, he did, he did a big piece, Alexander Biner, in the Evening Standard a few months ago. That, right, was, okay. that was a lot of triplet sure. in, in the story. I was really actually pleasantly surprised they published it. But why don't you give us a bit more of an insight into like, the process you know, you've, you start with a blank canvas, and then, then where do you go with, with your pen? All of my art's connected, yeah, but there are different aspects to it, which I focus on at different times. So I've got the elves. Um, the elves came about, and, you know, each elf has a sort of channeled name and then personality. And the personality, I've tried to sort of incorporate some of the spiritual tools that I've learned um, into the personality in a very light-hearted way um, so that if someone spends a bit of time with the elf uh, they will receive some of that therapy um, then there's the purple ufo images in which are generally sort of landscape images and there's now a story that's developed uh, over time as these images have been coming through as this landscape reveals this weird dimension this weird world that these pictures are and um, through the conversations I've been having with people, um, I've, you know, the, the, the idea is that there are these two elf, there's an elf priest and an elf priestess called Zawanduya and Zayanaya, and they live in this, like, castle in the clouds, and the garden of the castle is cultivated by elves, and they're travelling in the purple UFO around this strange planet, you know, um, with po and they, each piece will come with poetry, which... Uh, gives an idea of what might be going on in the image, but again, it's the storytelling. I have a lot of fun making it because I don't know what I'm making until further on. You know, each image guides into the next one. Plus, each image takes a long time to make, and as I'm making it, I'm conversing with artists, people in recovery, and those phone calls, and it, you know, going to exhibitions or going to life again, you know, is influencing the direction it goes in. But the idea is that through the storytelling, it's activating other people's imaginations, you know, and this strange world is becoming um, more and more a real thing. So by putting on these events, the people that come to the Purple UFO events will initially, will, uh, you know, they are climbing on board the UFO and exploring that reality in this dimension. I've got these, this priest project, which is the one that I'm hoping will raise funds for us to buy a bit of land or do whatever we decide to do with it. Um, so what will happen that, at this purple UFO event? I might have to come. I'm free on yeah, Sunday. It's, it's how, Sunday. Come how are you going to yeah. transport us um, through through the galaxies? Yeah. So it starts off 
uh, with uh, my girlfriend, Lana Jagger, who's a musician. He, I think you might have heard her playing at Medicine and Love Jam. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, she does, her and her friend Jade Gaia, they do, they, every two weeks they hold something called Soul Service down by the river uh, where they take people on a guided meditation. So they'll be doing uh, a purple UFO specified guided meditation to start off with where we'll all drink cacao and then we'll be taken off on a purple UFO, you know, trip through the dimensions uh, to reconnect with your creative soul, you know, and your creative energies and and then we'll have a little break and then after the break we'll go into an art exercise where um, I'll, I'll be able to explain a little bit about what the purple UFO is and where it's come from but the, the, the idea is that we will then you know, allow people to integrate their meditation experience into the creative process while talking to each other and then you know we'll do some sharing afterwards where people can explain what they experience there's no rules to what they create and then there'll be another break and we've got a band called cheetah ram playing in the evening who make this really beautiful high vibrational shamanic music and and that's it that's the first one so yeah i'm i'm, I'm really excited about it but i'm i'm more excited about you know like seeing how it's gone and the fact that it's happened and actually the purple ufo has become a real thing you know, because it's, like I said, this is, it's my whole life, this UFO's been slowly making its way here, and now it's here, and it's hopefully going to enter the minds of other people as this beautifully therapeutic entity, multi-dimensional thing that heals people and awakens them up to their creative and different forms of therapy and all sorts of beautiful things, you know, so it's, that's, that's, that's how I imagine it, could, you know, could turn into something that I'm completely unaware of. You know, but that's that's what art does. So, you do know, you see it, yourself as some sort of psychedelic Han Solo? I don't. I don't know, but I I I do. Uh, you know, I've, I've I've had to learn a lot of humility through the creative process. It's it's you know, humility is knowing the true nature of yourself, and I I found that out as a result of taking this stuff seriously. I don't personally take. I can't take credit anything I can't take credit for my artwork I can't take credit I don't you know it's just like I find by doing that by taking credit for it you get in the way of um, whatever God is you know and, and, and I've found that life's just a lot easier that way it's it's simple you know my, the thing I appreciate about doing it is meeting like-minded people and feeling serene inside you know um, it connects me, you know, I'm so interested about the art and the psychedelic world um, and the things that are happening in it, like just to be able to connect with all of these other people that are doing, you know, things that are, you know, in that sort of radius. Um, I, you know, it's heaven for me, you know, I just love what's happening and it gives me something that makes me feel connected to like society. So is this, I mean? is this heavenly right now? Like sitting here with me i mean we we met yeah, at noisily festival in in the summer and i was wearing a shirt that you'd bought at the yeah. maps conference because we were both there and i was wearing the one you bought and we kind of connected like that and and now i'm in your room and obviously it's at least only partly due to your increasing popularity as an artist although you're obviously a great guy yeah but that you know that that's another one of these coincidences do you know what i mean the fact that you had that shirt on and it's the same one that I bought in Denver 
you know, for me, that is a sign that the fact that we're talking now on a podcast, like, we're in the right place. What, what was it's, the shirt? It was like all mushrooms and magic. All mushrooms and magic. It was Fruiting Bodies. They're yeah. a company in, uh, I, can't remember, I, don't, I can't remember where they're based, but somewhere in the States who make uh, chocolates using cordyceps. I yeah, think. they've got all sorts of like, adaptogenic yeah. mushrooms. And but, you had, did you have the green one as well? Did you yeah. buy the green one? Yeah, shirt? I got the green one. Yeah, it's in that drawer just there. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> I thought about wearing it, but I thought it'd be a bit weird. So, so did you yeah. do like formal art training? That just, I, I just um, wondered, that, that just I, came to mind. I wouldn't call it that, because I, I, did, I did art. I've always done art at school, at university. I went to Bournemouth Arts Institute and did a, a foundation course, which was for a year, and it was an opportunity to explore different mediums. And I had an amazing time there. And then I was, I was offered a place to do a three-year degree. Um, but at the time, I, I, I kind of felt like three years doing a degree in art doesn't seem like a realistic thing for me to be doing. I, I don't know, I just, I just I, I didn't, it didn't feel right. So I, I got a job in London working for an event company. And it was after that, that that's what, what led me into rehab yeah, yeah, yeah and then when I came out of rehab I thought I need to take it easy and I went back to doing a three-year degree in Winchester art school and again I, I wouldn't call it formal art training I was at art school and I was still uh, not well uh, I, I did enjoy being there but I was exploring multiple dimensions and you know it was it was good for me and it's what kick-started um, uh, a change from painting into drawing initially. It was when I, it was just as I was coming to the end of the degree, um, I had some sort of, something Something said, you should be drawing this instead. And I started drawing and it felt like a, an easier way to express what I wanted to express. So a lot of, a lot of most of my art has been hand drawn on paper using pens and f nice felt tips. But then three years ago, when, lock, when lockdown happened, Someone, um, one of my friends had done a piece and I asked it, I said, how did you do that? Because I couldn't understand how he'd done something. And he said, oh, he uses something called Procreate. And he thought my work would translate really well. Uh, so I, a week, a week after that, I got commissioned to do a piece for a, a weed company in California. And they paid me the exact cost of an iPad with Procreate on it to the penny. And I thought, this is a sign. So I bought it, started playing around with it, didn't enjoy it because it was a different, you know, it was a different type of pen on a different, on a screen, and I spent most of my life drawing on, you know, getting used to something else. And then someone said, have you heard of NFTs? And I said, no. And they said, they sh I should check it out. And I asked like 20 different people, and they told me in different languages, and I still didn't get it. But then someone onboarded me onto it, and that's where I found these um, rooms where people were talking about art, and that's what um, changed everything for me. I, I I went, uh, I started doing these other rooms of my own as well. And then I, I, put, I created two pieces and I made five editions of them each and held a drop party, which is where you invite your community in to discuss these two pieces you want to sell. And, and then hope, hoping that maybe some collectors would come in and buy them. And I sold all of them that night. And that night they, I got an, a message saying I'd been put onto the front page of the biggest NFT platform in the world. And it was just this, like, I wasn't ready for it. You know, I, I'd only just joined NFTs and I didn't, um, I, I, you know, I was just 
I was in a, it was a, you know, it was, it was non-stop and I just got used to drawing digitally um, and I had to draw the pictures that usually took me months to draw in a day, you know, by, I'd have to sort of recreate them digitally and then I'd have to, you know, I ran out of those ones so I had to actually come up with my own ones, new, new ones, if that makes sense. And, and it's basically been three years of trying to sort of uh, navigating that space you know, and I've had some great experiences like going to Christie's, to Denver, going to um, Thrader Gallery. I was in a show there. Um, I've been to New York. Uh, I've, been, I've been to some really big events. Um, still have a bit of, uh, what's it called, where you don't feel like you're meant to be. Oh, there. imposter syndrome. Yeah. yeah, a little bit of that, but not so much. And was, do you ever get tempted to, you know, fall off the wagon? Because I've got a friend who he started seeing success as an artist and then he was, you know, suddenly at all these gallery parties and there's free booze and, you know, half the people are doing coke or maybe they don't so much these days. But yeah. do you know what I mean? Do you, do, you ever, do you ever get those moments where you have to really just like tap back into yourself and be like, no, I'm on the right path now? No, I don't. I mean, I, I, I feel like with the therapy, the, the therapeutic sort of side of what I'm doing allows me to connect to the right people and I still go to meetings when I'm away. Um, I have no intention of drinking or taking coke or, you know, whatsoever. Um, I, like I said, my vehicle is this sort of weird psychedelic art journey that I'm on. You know, I, the sober, it, the sober UFO train. It doesn't. Yeah. It, what was interesting is that when it went well, um, I was going to these. I was going to a lot of these big parties where there were people, you know, from you know the the general art world and and I, I i didn't i didn't really like it i didn't i didn't yeah. feel comfortable there i didn't feel like i fitted in and i felt like i just didn't feel <coughs> like it was me you know but having sort of been to a few more and sort of stuck sticking to the psychedelic world uh i kind of feel like yeah now i'm i, I know i have a lot more awareness of who I who I am and what I'm doing and what is what is the right what nourishes my process. So it's like uh, you know I was saying to you earlier today. Uh, I I looked after my friend at Helen's house, unskilled worker. She I met her in um, in these clubhouse apps and she she I looked after her house for six months and she'd come back every now and then and drop little nuggets of wisdom about how the art world worked. And one of the things she said was, you know. Uh, artists don't just get a studio to paint, they share knowledge with other artists and a week later I was doing this live painting at Noisley and I was surrounded by psychedelic people for the first time in like eight years. I was like wow this is this is what I need and I, you know I'd, I'd fallen in love with Froome about four years before that but hadn't been able to get here just because of Covid and life circumstances and on my last day of looking after Helen's house I, I thought you know I don't know where I'm going to live I haven't thought about that and uh and I just I actually just did a little prayer and I said if you could give us a bit of help finding somewhere to live and an hour later my phone rang and it was my friend Pachette and she said Harry did you say you're looking for somewhere to live in fruit uh, and she was here at uh, Kieran's house and uh, she, and he had a spare room so I just came over here and you know part of the reason for moving to Froome was you know it's, it's got a an expanding creative and psychedelic scene. Incredible. Uh, it's a beautiful town. Um, there's a lot going on. There's some 
really nice, interesting people mm -hmm. moving here. So the universe really does kind of listen. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if I, did I mention it to you? The other day, I bought a copy of Shantaram in a bookstore in Plymouth, because it's like my favorite novel, but I read it like seven or eight years ago. And then I was looking for a new novel to buy the other day. I couldn't find one. So I was like, all right, I'll, I'll get Shantaram and I'll read it again. Yeah. And I was on my way home. I'd almost got home and my friend messaged me and she said, is that your Shantaram? I was like, what? <laughs> and like, coincidentally, she's living at my old house. When I visited them the other week, I saw this book and I was like, oh, that's my book. But I never saw Shantaram there. Yeah. And I, it's not my Shantaram. But I bought Shantaram that day in England and hadn't told her. And suddenly she messages me like, is that your Shantaram? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's bizarre, but is it? You know, it's, it, this is the <laughs> is thing. Is it? Because <laughs> that's what makes you question reality. Do you know what I mean? And they, they, when you, some people call it chapel perilous, you know. When, when, when you start manifesting things, you find yourself, and then they start turning up, you find yourself in this elevated position where the next good thing is a bit closer and you think, oh, I could get that as well. And if, I think if you keep doing it, it becomes perilous, you know, because you're losing track of the things that are holding you together, if that makes sense. A rapid uh, ascension. Yeah, yeah. So, it, you know, but, it, and, but at the same time, you, you may be losing touch with reality. I don't know. I'm, I'm only like thinking about this now, but you know, I, I, I had a number of things happen in quick succession, which made me question reality altogether. You know, it was like, I was like, hang on, can I open the curtains with my mind? Do you know what I mean? Like, because <laughs> if, if I think about these things, you know, and the channels are clear and I'm, you know, I'm not mm -hmm. storing all this negative stuff in me anymore, it seems like they turn up. I mean, have you seen you those know? videos of like these Qigong masters just putting their hand above a piece of paper and yeah. it, it turns into fire? Yeah. And that's legit. Yeah, yeah. It's a fascinating thing, isn't it? What your mind can do and how reality reacts to it. You know, it's like talking about ego boundaries earlier. It's like my thinking seemed to have a fence around it, my consciousness. And, you know, it's like my ego didn't realize it could go beyond that fence. Do you know what I mean? I set my sights too short. You can do anything you want. You know, you can use your mind to push further into areas that you didn't even know exist. It's like living, you know, life beyond your, you know, your your expectations. It's like you, you just don't know what's going to happen today. You don't know who you're going to meet, and it's like it's exciting. I think I I, I still sit and manifest sometimes. But I don't, I, I just find it difficult to find time sometimes because I, I, if I'm not careful, I've got too many things to do. Yeah, yeah it you already, know, already seems like things are, things are flowing fairly yeah. well. What could you manifest? What, what, exactly. what, what is, what, what, like, yeah, what's, what's next? What, what is your actual next genuine intention? Are you, are you asking? I am. Um, well, it's to this weekend, you know, is the next. One step at a time. And yeah, then, and, and then, then get, some, get some land and build a little sort of psychedelic art commune. That is uh, definitely on the books at the moment. But, but you're not manifesting it, you're sort of just- Oh no, no, I've, that's be, I've been manifesting that for a okay. while. But I, the thing is I also, I'm also aware that things can, they, it's, it's like things open up and mm -hmm. open up and open up, you know, in different ways. So you don't know what's turning up. Do you know what I mean? So you can manifest stuff, but it's like, 
someone might come along tomorrow and tell you about a better version of the thing that you want. So it might suddenly change. So the concept of having a bit of property called, with, called the Purple UFO, where people come and put these events on, could turn into you know somewhere that offers you know I don't know you know it could have like a a boat attached to it. Do you know what I mean? Or some or something else that wasn't there in the first place. And before you know it, it's kind of you know expanded into something else. But yeah, it's it's one of those things, isn't it? You don't know what it's going to be, but you mm -hmm. can manifest. It's like I, what I found was when I if, if there was something I wanted through manifestation, usually it would uh, be a lot better than the thing that I wanted it to be. So what have you uh, manifested? Everything in in my life is 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 a manifestation of some sort. Do you know what I mean? But but, but is there but, anything? Have you like sat down? I wanted to. Have I wanted you sat down? Because because it was interesting. I read the law of attraction. Yeah, and I started like doing a 15 minute meditation minimum every morning and like one of the things I was meditating was like a bit more success in my journalism and like four days later I got leaked this like government document and two weeks later you know I had the story about it yeah that's well there, there you go you know <laughs> I mean I, I had been I had been like looking for that document and I had a story like a few months before well like six months before in the times like about the document. So I definitely like put, put, put the, put planted the seed, yeah. but nonetheless, it, it felt like quite striking that like four days, and I haven't said this before, like four days after I just started this manifesting meditation that the document arrived. But who knows, who knows, yeah. you know? I don't wanna like, I, th I'd, I had to already set it in motion. Yeah, 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 absolutely, yeah. Well, I, I, you know what, I think if your intentions are good as well, this is something I, you know, play around with sometimes is, and I think if your intentions are good, you get extra help. If what you're doing is intended to be beneficial to other people, I think that's when you get a lot, it, it seems to work a lot better. I think that comes through using plant medicines as well. Is, you know, I, remember, I read this book that was suggesting that this, you know, resurgence in people using plant medicine is potentially Gaia or my, Mother Nature. Uh, the planet, altering human, human consciousness gradually bit by bit so that we look after the planet better. You know, and, that would figure. And, and if, if you're doing something like what you're doing, which is expanding people's minds, you know, and waking them up to these things, then you will be getting help from that, you know. Um, it's just a, so I was just thinking about that because I, I do kind of feel like that's what I've got help from, like these elves, you know. Um, that, you know I, I got an email one day from a guy called Graham Campbell, who was working at the Psychedelic Therapy Institute on the DMT trials. And I've, I've just finished a picture which he's going to use uh, for a, um, something he's releasing soon. But, um, he, you know, he, we, we, we got talking. He wanted some elves on mugs for his office, for his friends that, that he was working with. And with yeah, well, and There's one here. There you go, yeah. And that, that's not is, that, is that an elf or is that a clown? That's an elf. That's it's an a clown elf. elf. That's drip tip who uh, loves playing around with water, he's very mischievous. If you ever sit on a seat and it's wet, it's because drip tip's been there. He can go invisible in the rain as well. And then the other side... Uh, the other he's side like is, amorphous. Yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. Um, but then uh, the other side is Flipsip, and Flipsip's a sunset elf who loves the sound of slurping that people make when they're drinking their coffee. So if you're ever drinking coffee, make sure you slurp extra loud, because flips it will appear 
and give you some sort of transmission of energy that will help you. Oh, I had a yeah, flat yeah, white so. earlier, but I, I sipped it very, very quietly, I'm yeah. afraid. It's probably waiting around the corner. Because yeah, yeah. if you slurp it, if you slurp it like bigger, or like more goes into your mouth, you're not savouring, or I'm, at least I'm not savouring it yeah, yeah. as much, and then it's louder, like... I like it loud, you know, <laughs> I'm a loud coffee drinker. Um, yeah, I put people off what they're eating because I'm behind them slurping away. But, but yeah, th th this is this is what um, this, this this he asked me for a mug, so I sent it to him, and then we got talking. We did some, some Zoom calls, and he just informed me a bit more of some of the stuff that was happening in the research world. And I think he suggested I got in touch with Andrew Gallimore, who did Alien Information Theory, and it, he messaged me the other day to ask if I give him some artwork for another book um, and you know it's this sequence of things started happening and I started to feel more connected and more informed from the people that were doing that world and it it's, it's been really useful mm -hmm. you know uh, great I think he, he was saying you know that you've got to be careful what you put out there you know you, you don't want to you don't want to you don't want this stuff to look you, you don't want to do anything that's going to potentially harm all of this work that's going on you know so it, it but it's, it's bizarre, it's bonkers, yeah. the way everything's happened. Everything's been manifested, you know. And I, 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 I'm a big Spongel fan. Uh, you know, Spongel was like the music I listened to. Oh yeah, to. It's, kind of psych it's kind of psychedelic, right? It's very psychedelic. <laughs> it's as psychedelic as music gets, you know. And, and it, it was just, for me, like, I, I have listened to his music for a long time. It was perfect music to draw to. It created shapes and it you know put things in place in my mind and just it was inspiring you know it created visual things and and uh, I got I, when I the first introduction to manifesting um, I was told to uh, imagine I'd won the lottery what would I do Monday to Friday if money's no longer a problem yeah and don't set your sights too short and I wanted to be an artist I wanted to work in art therapy I wanted to eventually have uh, somewhere that I could have used as a studio but for other people to come and do therapeutic practices in. A uh, nice little cottage by the, near the river in the countryside with lots of dogs and, and you know, it kind of feels like it's on its way. But I, 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 said to, I said, what do I do now? I've written it out. And he said, just read it. Read it in the morning, shut your eyes and imagine you've already got it. And the very next day my phone rang and it was a lady that ran a mental health charity in Newbury asking if I'd be interested in setting up an art therapy practice with her. And, and I hadn't told anyone what was on this piece of paper. And, um, no one? No one. No, it was just mine. You know? Not even your missus? No one. Literally, no one knew about it. And, and I was like, <laughs> and I was like that, that's bizarre. You know? And I actually turned it down because I, and I said, I'm really sorry, but I've got no experience in art therapy whatsoever. I mean, your art that, does look like it could kind of help certain people but other people yeah, it might just bend it, bend their minds out of shape some people get frightened by the elves you know but that's the that's the you know that's and the, when they find that they've got line. names as well yeah yeah yeah. Oh, yeah well that's it's great you know people tell me that they who their favorite elf is and that they've had these funny experiences with them and i had i, had a, I did a portrait of john lennon he's one of the purple ufo pictures and someone messaged me saying it popped up the day after they'd had an ayahuasca ceremony where they'd seen, I think they'd seen their granddad on one side of the shaman and John Lennon on the other. And it turns out that they were related. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, so oh, he'd God. seen this picture of John Lennon the next day and it had blown his mind. Well, they were like it, second cousins or something, something like that. Yeah, but it was like, you know, I, I get a lot of messages from people that where they've interacted with the art in some way and it's, it's allowed them to sort of process something they've experienced on psychedelics or... And so what yeah. do you say to people? And this might be a good opportunity to, to close our <laughs> enlivening, spiriting, trans <laughs> world-transcending conversation. Like, what, what do you say to people or, or aspiring art students when they want to kind of transcend the barriers of their mind? The thing that I found most helpful was finding myself in the artwork, and that came through communication with people. You know, it was showing it to people, asking them what they saw, but then going into other people's art as well. And, you know, I was talking to someone earlier today and they were like, they were like, you know, I'm just painting because I'm bored. You know, I don't know how to talk about it. And I was like, that's the start. Do you know what I mean? But tell someone and then, you know, go into their art and watch, watch yourself cultivate within the artwork because that's when, and, and keep doing it, because that's when you'll start to see yourself in it. That's when you'll start, the, you know, these doors seem to get unlocked, the mysteries, you know, evoking mystery by creating. That's like, that's the, that's the main thing that I've been focusing on. But again, the toolkit of recovery and my experiences with psychedelics and a desire to incorporate, you know, the, the art therapy into that, that's, you know, having those sort of things spiralling around my mind while I'm creating and talking to people. That's, you know, it's, everyone's different. Everyone creates for their own reasons, you know, but I've found that really helpful. And I'm, like, I, like I said before, the reason for putting on these purple, purple UFO events is to almost do that same thing, but bringing other people in rather than just your other thoughts. So it'd be like a psychodrama of the thing that I'm talking about in my head, you know, it's, it's kind of cool. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's, well, it's, it's a vehicle, you know, like, and I, I don't know where it's going to take me or whoever wants to be involved with it. <laughs>